I mean, this whole construct of what is, you know, these racial divides is a meekly human problem. And I do mean problem, okay? It doesn't exist anywhere else. It is uniquely human, okay? So if you understand that, then again, back to our very first part of this conversation, it is acceptance. That's Sharice Taylor, and this is the Rain Studios podcast. Hello, friends. Welcome back to the Rain Studios podcast. I'm Rain Reed, your hostess. And today, Sharice Taylor from the Catskill Mountains, upstate New York, is gracing us with her presence. This conversation was nothing short of delightful. Sharice is a mother, a powerful woman of slave descent, African slave descent to be precise. She and her husband um, have been together for, oh my gosh, so many years. And it's in the episode, but I don't want to misquote the number right now. Um, and raised their beautiful children, one of which is one of my very best friends, Elizabeth Taylor. Shout out, True Beauty Brooklyn podcast. Um, And actually, a little side note there. Uh, So a couple of months back, back in November, I was honored, so honored to be a guest on the True Beauty Brooklyn podcast with Elizabeth and Alex. Um, to be then turned around later, just like a couple months after the episode was released, the Exactly Right Network uh, removed the episode from the air. So you can no longer hear our amazing conversation. And I am not mad at my dear friends, Elizabeth, Elizabeth or Alex. I love them and their podcast is amazing. Um, you know, but I will... I will say I was upset with Exactly Right for for booting my episode. Um, You know, we talked a lot about the home birth, the sovereign, um, empowered birth of my son. Um, We spoke about um, a lot of just truths and sex and and uh, becoming a midwife and all of these things. And um, I'm still not totally sure what aspect of um, natural healing, I guess that could have been. I'm not sure what the actual catalyst for the removal of the episode was, but I just want to go on record thanking the Exactly Right Network at this point because what they did by removing the episode was simply put wind in my sails and put oxygen on my embers to really uh, get back to podcasting and embracing um, being able to have conversations with incredible people all over the world. So thank you, exactly right, for the boot and for the boost in the right direction. Um, And thank you, Alex and Elizabeth Taylor, for getting me back into this. I'm so delighted. So so I have Elizabeth Taylor's mother, Sharice, and Elizabeth and I... um, just a little background there, we um, fell in love deeply, uh, like the first moment we saw each other in college. So we went to um, 
Parsons School of Design, I had one foot in, um, so it was the New School University in Manhattan. I had one foot in Eugene Lane College as a um, dancer, as a dance major. And then I had the other foot nestled into Parsons School of Design as an art history major. So, um, and that's where I met Beth and that's where we fell in love. Um, you know, we got to share space, living quarters with jazz musicians and dancers and creatives and architects and I mean just the ugh, actors it was it was an incredible incredible experience and Charisse um Elizabeth's mother just also I mean she just embraced me she took me in like um like a sister like I was like or, or like a daughter to her um and like a sister to Elizabeth and Jess and um you know it's amazing. I I feel nothing short of honored and blessed to be sharing this conversation um, with you all, the listeners, um, because we are talking about some, you know, heavy and very prevalent conversations around race, around culture, around what it means to be um, a descendant of slaves um, here in the U.S. and how this has um, cast its shadow upon, um, race relationships in this, in this culture here in the U S. So, you know, with the brutal murder of George Floyd, we, um, you know, anyone who had, uh, forgotten or overlooked that there have been, that there has been racial, racial tension and any massive inequality in our country for, you know, 200 plus years, um, it wasn't until the world was, you know, slowed down in pandemic, uh, in pandemic land, um, so that, so that we could all see, you know, the truth of this, uh, this brutality that's happening all the time. Um, and so I'm hoping that this conversation with Sharice Taylor, who is a wise elder, um, you know, that's another part of, of my offerings here. The next couple of months, I'm going to be sharing conversations with wise elders because this is why I love podcasts so much. I mean, this is human history. Human history um, and, and humanity has been built on story sharing, on storytelling, on experience and vulnerability and, and you know, being honest about, about the things that happen to us in our lives and without listening to our wise elders, like, who are we? You know, like, we're just like blind sheep running around, <laughs> uh, you know, trying to figure it out for the first time when we have wise elders to listen to. So Sharice Taylor is a nurse practitioner, a teacher, a mother, a partner, like I said, I mean, there's just so much wisdom and um, and her family lines, uh, the bloodlines of both she and her husband Kevin, are really extraordinary and diverse and and uh, unique. Um, so I'm just so delighted and honored to bring you all this conversation. So, without further ado, please enjoy my conversation with the lovely Sharice Taylor. I was really attached to um, to coming out to the Catskill Mountains to have Yay! to have this conversation with you, oh, wow. and Kevin, if he wanted to. 
Uh-huh. And, you know, and I, because I, I was just really attached to doing all this in person. Wow. So much so that I like, you know, basically stopped podcasting for a while. Um, and which is ridiculous, you know, if, if I yeah. could just, uh, understand the assignment, which I do now and so much <laughs> part because of Elizabeth, you know, because of <laughs> yeah. the true beauty Brooklyn podcast, that's the yeah. shout out that I wanted to give yeah. her. You know, it was like, she was just like, Rain, like, what? what? Like, this is, this is when you podcast, this is like, this step is when, yeah. this, you know, step, yeah. Yeah. you know, understand the assignment. Don't be attached. Right. To right. And, and, and embrace it, embrace the time. You know, I mean, this is, first of all, I love the picture of the bison behind you. I have to tell you that, that that is just gorgeous. Thank you. Gorgeous. I painted this on a whim. Did you really? I sure did. So I'm in our bedroom actually. Oh wait, this is even funnier. So I have, we have like a little tiny house and we call it the cabana and it's my office. It's like where I do all my stuff. Okay. I went in this morning for our conversation about, you know, 17 minutes ago and the the heater's broken. (laughs) So that's why I'm here in our bed (laughs) with our giant bison. (laughs) Glad you like it. It's beautiful. And you painted that. And so you did the whole mountainscape and everything. I did. Yeah. That is gorgeous, Rain. Thank you. Well, that's one thing that the pandemic kind of did help me with, or that, or that I, you know, that I understood the assignment right away. I was like, ooh. You got your creativity. Yeah. It's just got creativity back. Painted the house. Yes. <laughs> so how are your parents? Now, this is Skip and Beth, right? Skip and Beth, they're, um, they're good. They're, they're Does Skip know he's still my hero? Oh my gosh. In in what capacity? I feel like he needs to know. <laughs> oh, I thought Beth would have told you. Okay, way back when, what is this, 12 years ago during Katrina? Uh-huh. When um, he was out of the state, as you know, and he chartered a helicopter and started going to get people off of roofs. Yep. And as you know, Kevin's family is from New Orleans. Right. And so watching this horror unfold and we had just been there in the April before Katrina mm-hmm. so watching this horror and we were walking down the streets that they're now showing you know flooded mm-hmm. just six six months four months four months prior to that so hearing that he he said I can help because the government was so inept oh on God. every level on every level was so inept. The fact that he said, I can do this. Mm-hmm. I have this, this, this ability to affect change and I am going to do that. And he jumped right in. He sure did. And he saved, I don't even know how many people. I don't know. I don't even care. Even if it was just one person, the fact that he did that is forever my hero. Oh, forever. Forever my hero. Skip. Yeah. 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 The, the stories from that time are. Oh my Incredible. God. That Incredible. would be another podcast. Yes. <laughs> May it be so. May it be so. Yes. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. We should do that one. We should do that one. Because I there's a lot of is a lot that is still. It's amazing how it's so many years ago. And yet, because of my personal connection to the city, which is still my favorite city in the world. Not oh. that I do to every city in the world, but I felt 
a connection to that city. We still want to go back. And um, we haven't been back since Katrina, which dismays. But every time we think we're going to go back, something happens. Jess gets married. Jessica has a baby. <laughs> Jessica has another baby. And there's a pandemic. Totally Kevin's coming out of the military. I mean, it's like every single time, every single time we say, this is the year we're going. Oh, crap happens. Isn't that it, so it really does. That's so, so interesting. I'm going to adjust the screen down or adjust the camera down. Oh, there we go. Oh, there we go. My camera's falling off. That's what's going on here. All right. Now, now I messed it up. <laughs> Isn't the funniest? I know. And I have you stacked up on a bunch of pillows. So I, I mean, it's- I, I got it. I got it. I got it. I got it. Whoa. Now I went down. Lord Jesus. Hold on one minute. <laughs> <laughs> At least you have a sweet hydraulic chair. That's exciting. Oh God. Maybe if I use the hydraulics, I can, oh, there I am. Oh, you don't just see my face to here. It's perfect. It's perfect. Oh, so so now your studio, your studio is now run by your brother? No, your so, no, actually. So I sold, this is what's crazy. We sold the studio the May before the pandemic. Oh, wow. Yeah. Free to be is, is actually, it's owned by um, Janae Holmes and Kelly Boudreaux. So it's a women owned yoga and they actually, I believe, well, actually, hmm. During the pandemic, they closed their flagship location. Mm. You know, I mean, it was crazy. So think about mm-hmm. that sort of divine mm-hmm. dimension, right? Like I had, mm-hmm. there was no way I could have known that this was happening, but right. running it from afar was very challenging. Mm-hmm. Um, and I would imagine. Yeah. And, you know, everyone's actually, even while I was driving back to have this call today from, from <laughs> movie school. I was kicking around that soccer ball in my head, you know, like, should we have sold? Should we have sold? Uh, you know, cause I still, I still do think about it. Um, yes, you should have sold. Yeah, we, and we did. And so we sold the May before the pandemic and yeah, it just, you know, bless Kelly and Janae and everybody. And, you know, all the people still on the ground, you know, doing this, uh, brick and mortar businesses. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I mean, we were, we were quite, we were quite lucky to, to get out of that. And it was, you know, we owned the studio for almost a decade. It was about nine years. Wow. 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 So amazing and magical and difficult and challenging and mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. all the things. Um, but my brother and my parents are still in New Orleans. Well, my brother, the pandemic actually, he, and his wife, and they now have two little ones. Oh, They're wow. actually living in Pascrishan, like this little sort of beach coastal town in southern Mississippi, right on the coast. Oh. And um, yeah, because they, her parents, Hillary's parents, had like a second home there. And I mean, they're really just living there, and everybody's working remotely from this house. But it's, yeah. you know, it's. I do feel like another sort of, you know silver lining to pandemic is yes. people really immersing in nature and being yeah. more, you know, like if they have access to it in the first place or, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and, and then also the, the natural elements kind of getting their chance to shine. Like mm-hmm. you know, my friends in Brooklyn and stuff, like 
they are noticing that like there's more birds and there's yeah. you know like that the the natural elements of yeah. the trees are yeah. really thriving yeah. which I find just so charming yeah. yeah and just it's just and when the whole world was shut down in from March to I guess like August of 2020 and then people started saying oh my god I can see Mount Kilimanjaro oh my god look, there's no smog. Oh my God, there's no smog sitting over our city. I mean, when you saw in just that short amount of time, how the earth was able to say, take a breath, take a breath rather. Yeah. Like a deep breath and say, oh, you know, there were dolphins in the, in the, in the canals of Venice. And there was, I mean, like, how could you not want that to continue? You know? So even I, like on Friday, I had an interview with a virtual company or a company that will I would work remotely. And way after our interview, I have another one from a com- for a company that would work remotely because I don't want to pollute the earth anymore and have to, you know, because I have to schlep to work. So, you know, if I cannot, that would be good. You know, <laughs> That's, that is the understanding of the assignment. I mean, it really is like, yeah, like the planet is, is, is communicating with us. Yeah. Yeah. You know, (laughs) I don't need any more of you. (laughs) Oh my God. I know. Totally. Yeah. Oh, well, so I don't want to take up all your time. I just had to catch up with you. So that was 15 minutes of catch up. Now tell me what you want. I love it too, honey. Totally. Oh my gosh. So, so I have like my, my notes here and I know I sent you sort of my cue of, of, of bullet points or, you know, just stepping stones that I wanted to jump around from. Mm -hmm. And I'm wondering though, well, the shout out to how we know each other, right. Is is Elizabeth Taylor. (laughs) Yes. Yeah, some yeah. of us still call Beth in our dreams and in real life. Um, <laughs> at the True Beauty Brooklyn podcast. So, right. you know, she and Alex are working their, their little tushies off. Now they've got a second location opening up. Yes, they do. They just opened it up this week and Ooh. she sent me pictures and um, it went from this drab little place to this beautiful, warm space that I just can't wait to visit. I mean, it's just, just seeing the pictures, the before and after the transformations of I'm going to send you the pictures. Please do. Oh my God. And when you see this transformation, you're going to go, I mean, I, I, I can't believe it. It's gorgeous. Which, which they've been doing a lot of the work themselves too. Yes. Yeah. They did get a contractor for this because they, they put up walls, they moved walls. They, I mean, they did have to do, this was major. This was major. Like they have, um, I don't even know how high the, it's a pre-war building. So I don't even know how high the ceiling is, but yeah. they put up, you'll see, but they did put up a wall. They moved other walls. They changed the bathroom so that there's more space, um, you know, and they just, just made it a beautiful place for women to come together. By the way, mm. my interview on Friday, mm. please send out all of the vibes for this one. Cause I really want this job. Yes, listeners, send the vibes, send the vibes. Um, is uh, a women's health, uh, women's mental health care virtual. And so I'm just so excited about that because the pandemic 
has brought anxiety and depression right to the front of uh, of medical care. And um, as a primary care provider, I have been dealing with this constantly, constantly, constantly. And to be in a women-owned, women-driven company, Mm. which is developed for, designed by women and developed for women and, and takes care of women, I mean, I'm not saying that men don't need to be taken care of, because of course they do, but men in this, well, no, not just this country, men in the world have, are raised to be monoliths. And it takes a lot for a man to reach out for help. It, it takes a lot. Um, but if you look at our of, of human society, not just American society, but human society. If the woman who is the foundation of the nuclear family, even the polygamous family, because if you don't have a lot of women, you don't have a family, right? 100%. So when you're you're taking care of that foundation of the society, then mentally, physically, emotionally, then you're really taking care of humankind. Mm. You know? We give birth to future generations of humankind. I mean, we we nurture support. Not that men don't. I'm not saying that they don't. But if you look at our what we do to help, and then we help, we try to help each other. So I'm like really excited about this. So all of the all of the all of the good thoughts because I really oh. this would be. Amazing. It would I be mean, amazing. Let's light some candles. We will. May it be so. May it be so is what my mentor always says, Sister Morningstar. That is kind of her way of, you know, of blanketing with with the goodness and and letting the power of the divine take it. But I mean, Absolutely. you know, Sharice, it's it's so interesting, like everything you just said. Like I couldn't imagine having it be said more perfectly and in alignment with like where my fantasy ideal for this conversation would have gone oh wow how how that happens I mean I have chills all over my body it's insane because I always say I love men and, mm-hmm. and 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 you know I make this shape and then you know the listeners won't be able to see oh this. I like that but right it's like the two thumbs up and then they fit right together perfectly beautifully I mean we complete each other mm-hmm. but, but what's happening right now you know is just everything is being exposed we have this raw mm-hmm. exposed situation going on due to the pandemic and mm-hmm. you know and you're so right I mean, everything you just said is so it's so in alignment with the laws of nature that right we have to have the the nurturing mother mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. In, in position to hold that space because right. it's true in a real and a very strong man who's really in his truth will say that you know yes. that that their woman yes. their partner that they're right. they're the, the mother to their children mm-hmm. is also continuing to mother them you know well more than mother a strong man you I love that symbol that you just did with your hands because that is that is beautiful. It's more than mothering. It is because each of us 
share attributes of the other gender, correct? Okay. So, so with, with, with a strong man and a strong woman who is working together mm-hmm. in concert, not, not butting heads, but working together in concert, yes. you create this unit that helps the, the next generation to come to their fullness, okay? So for instance, I have a son who is a Marine who is a rabid feminist. Yeah. Okay. My son and my husband are, they are feminists with a capital F. Okay. And they will not, would not ever, excuse me, let me just, not ever allow toxic masculinity to happen within their their relationships with other men you know and as a matter of fact have and have told me that they have taken stances years before we even asked them to do that to say no we are not doing this is not how you treat a woman this is not how you treat my sister this is not how and I will not have you speaking that way about that woman that's in your life that may not be in mine because it is wrong so I mean they've been doing this Way before we asked them, hey, could you guys come out of the closet and start saying these things to your fellow man? So, um, yeah, I'm sorry. I don't even know how we got there, but it's No, So, yeah, apologies. Unnecessary. I um, it's these conversations just ebb and flow in perfection in ways that I cannot describe. It's just amazing. Um, So, well, let's let's begin with. um, I mean, let's begin in the middle. Um, but <laughs> you into the life of Therese and Kevin, I mean, really, it, we're here with you today. So um, just to give the listeners, I'm going to give a full bio before our conversation even clicks in, mm-hmm. so, you know, and we'll, and we'll have um, bio and stuff in the show notes. And so okay. kind of nerd out on who you are, but um, <laughs> you are, Cherise Taylor is the mother of one of my dearest and best friends, Elizabeth Taylor the owner and um, operator of uh, True, True Beauty Brooklyn. And, yeah. So, yeah. Uh, and which is a brick and mortar um, beauticians, estheticians space and in mm-hmm. you know, two locations in Brooklyn. But we, uh, Elizabeth and I went to college together and we basically fell in love. Like it was love at first sight. We yeah. had what is like, we just looked at each other and we knew um, mm-hmm. we had a true sisterhood. So, and I don't have mm-hmm. sisters, um, biological sisters, but, um, we just instantaneously like, and, and our, our friendship, our relationship has continued in that way. Mm-hmm. I mean, we won't talk for months and yeah. when we do, it's just, it's, it's so beautiful. Like the yeah. puzzle pieces that we fit together. Mm-hmm. Um, but you know, and right off the bat, I mean, we had, there was no fear when we converse about about highly um charged taboo and charged yeah subject matter so Mm -hmm. sexuality Mm -hmm. gender race inequality Mm -hmm. I mean just you name it like we talked about it all and the level of comfort between us is just wonderful it's (laughs) wonderful like wow like how is this how is this happening um, but so that's why, and I mean, I just kind of felt like 
just so open to just reach out to you. And, mm-hmm. uh, and I've been wanting to reach out to you literally <laughs> years. So it is really magical. Thank you um, to oh. the design for queuing us but, up. But you know, we, we stayed interwoven, right? Because I mean, um, on the days when it was, you, you had the, the studio and, you know, I followed the studio, you know, on Facebook and, and then um, when, when Beth was just starting and um, with True Beauty Brooklyn and, you know, there were some collaborations that you did with her that back then. Yeah, you forgot about that, right? (laughs) Oh, I mean, well, yeah, we've been, yeah, Beth and I, we've been kind of kicking back and forth. Yeah, as we grew together in design school, Uh you know, and I mean, it is funny, like how we both ended up being business owners and like same time and, you know, and we go constantly kicking the ball back and forth between like, how do we do this? How do I do this? How do you handle employees? How do you fire people? These were things that, yeah, Beth and I were (laughs) so grateful to have each other for those moments. Yeah, Um, totally. Um, And And one of the things that, um, one of the things that happened, Rain, and I'm just going to segue to this real quick. Please do. Is when you guys were, I think you were seniors Mm -hmm. at college by this point. You were either juniors or seniors. It was. It was, you know, we'd been together for a while. We formed our family unit unit for a while. Um, And um, you found out we were going to New Orleans. And you were like, oh, my gosh, you're going to my hometown. This is so wonderful. What are you going to see? What are you going to do? Where are you going to eat? You know, and all that stuff. And um, it was my first time going there. It wasn't. Kevin's first time, but it was certainly my first time going there. Right. And um, I fell in love with your city. Yeah. So much in love with you, with it. So much in love with that. Felt deep connection to it and in a way. And um, one of the things that you said to us, and I hope you don't mind me sharing this, but one of the things you said to me was, um, I'd like you to go to my great grandmother's plantation. Mm. And I went, what? What? <laughs> And you said, you know, I'd, I'd love you to go to my great grandmother's plantation. You gave us the name of it. You told us where it was. And, um, and we went. Mm. And we went. And one of the things that struck us immediately, and I still have pictures. I still have pictures, by the way, of, that, that, of going there. One of the things that I have never, ever forgotten is a your openness to say yes this is a part of my background and i want to share this with you even though it was a turbulent difficult brutal time of history i need you to know all of me and and i'm comfortable with with you knowing that part of me so i i appreciated that because um there are people who run away from it you know rather than confront it accept it and we move on Okay. The other thing that struck me is that the great granddaughter of a slave owner and the great granddaughter of a freed slave are best friends. I mean, not in their wildest dreams could Beth's great grandparents 
have known where she would be now. But to know that she was there next, walking next to the great-granddaughter of a slave owner, to me, is just priceless. Because that's America. That's what we need. If we could just get past the, it happened so long ago. Just, just accept and move forward. Just accept and move forward. Take down the barriers. Build each other up. And let's move forward as a country, you know? And that's why I have, I have, I have optimism for the future. I have optimism for my, for my grandchildren. I have optimism for your children. Well, Beth and Kevin aren't going to have children, <laughs> but you know. You never know. You, you never know. <laughs> you oh never know. my God. But I just, I just love that that's part of the story because yeah. it's so... It's so deep on so many levels, on so many levels, the spiritual commonality that the two of you found together. And then it's just, it's just beautiful. It's just a beautiful story. And I, I really, you know, wonderful, wonderful. Yes. Well, and thank you. Yeah. For, so this is what it's about, right? Is, and I've just come to, I mean, I, I think I'll spend my whole life learning to understand, right? Mm-hmm. This is like definitely um, my path and, and hopefully everyone's path uh, right. to, to the word you use, acceptance. It's the most incredible word. It's also uh, powerful, very powerful. Well, this is, a, this is an interesting segue, so bear with me. Mm-hmm. You've wrecked. If you've spoken to or heard of stories of people who have near-death experiences or actually cross the realm, cross the veil, and then come back, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. there's a commonality of them. They use the word acceptance. Mm-hmm. On the other side, they felt a sense of acceptance. I know it's really something, um, and and so it's like, could we just wake up to the acceptance on this side? Yeah. In this realm. Because so yeah, and, and so what you just shared, like, and you know, a part of my body sensationally, when you started to say, like, and you said, I want you to go to the plantation that my family, my body cringes. Mm-hmm. There is a physiological mm-hmm. tightening that happens, guilt, mm-hmm. shame, and remorse from mm-hmm. the 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 tragedy and the mm-hmm. pain and the pain that I come from mm-hmm. but the truth, the, the ability to sort of part the seas and walk through it. And my vision is Beth and I holding hands yes. through that. Right. Right. Together. Together. And that's, that's, that's the power of acceptance is that, the two of you and all of us, indeed all of us, you know, all of us can hold hands yeah. and walk together. And it doesn't matter your shape, your size, your, 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 your gender, just nothing, nothing, nothing. We're humans and we accept who we each are yeah. and we meet where we are. Yeah. And then it centers you, doesn't it? I mean, didn't you feel more like, I mean, and I get the feeling of, I get it, that you were like, oh, 
but it's both. If you were still there, mm. if your family was still there, mm. if that was your mindset, that would be the tragedy. This is not a tragedy. This is not a tragedy. This is a story of absolute love in its purest form. Interesting that this is happening on Valentine's Day, which is a commercial holiday. I get that. I know. Interesting that, interesting that it's happening. on When you're talking about pure love for one another, you know, that's, again, it's priceless. And it all starts with just accepting that you're a human being. I'm a human being. We're going to make mistakes. We're going to get up together and march away from the mistakes and watch march into the future. Yeah. You know? Yeah. I mean, all of my grandchildren and I have five of them and every single one of my grandchildren are biracial. Every single one of them, you know, yeah. I mean, it's, it's, it is, it is our future. It is our future. You know, and we need to walk through it, walk toward it. Biodiversity. Ha. Ah. We're being called to diversify. It's amazing. Oh, well, okay. So let's, um, so, so let's move through you because what mm-hmm. it's about and what is so amazing is um, in the podcast realm, like this is giving uh, the ability to share a story, which is so mm-hmm. an ancient human, you know, this is what we did and what mm-hmm. we are now keeping doing sharing mm-hmm. passing verbal tradition through story right and what this um, series is about and again that's a uh, elizabeth and the true beauty book and podcast really like inspired me with like the body chronicles that they have mm-hmm. they're sort of like series that they're doing mm-hmm. um i was like i want to do a wise elder series because it makes sense to mm-hmm. listen to our elders simply the wisdom from your setting your feet one after the other for the duration of your lifetime and sharing the stories with us is um is pure magic and and where learning and wisdom comes from so um a view into the life of sharice uh starting with your own birth story would be so great because i don't know how much you know about my fanaticism about birth um, but I do. <laughs> yes, yes. So, my, so I am of a little bit of an attachment um, to the, to the 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 respect and the reverence for the birth into the world, um, and then our end of life journey. So if we, you know, could begin there, that would be amazing. Hmm. Okay. Um. Uh, let's see. I was. Um, my parents, I come from an, ex, a, an ordinary, extraordinary family. Yes. Um, and the reason I say that is because although on my mother's side, all of my ancestors were enslaved at one point, but my grandparents who were themselves the children of free slaves, that's why when people say it's so far, but no, my grandparents yesterday. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. Literally two <laughs> generations before me. So yeah. that means you're going from the boomers to the millennials. That's all we're moving, okay? Um, my grandparents on my mother's side were entrepreneurs, which is I'm sure where Beth gets 
mm-hmm. some of her her entrepreneurial energy from. Um, they owned an entire block of brown ho- house brownstone houses in Manhattan. They bought them at auction. Um, and when my my grandfather was my grandfather was in um, drafted into World War II, but then enlisted in World War. No, I'm sorry. Drafted in World War One, but enlisted in World War Two. Okay. And what they did is, my grandfather went to build ships down in Philadelphia at the shipyards, and he would save just enough for you know when he worked at the Navy, just enough to get him through. Um, and then he would send it all back to my grandmother. My grandmother would then go to these auctions and buy these houses, these brownstones. And they did this until now. These were two black people. These were not, these were two black people. And they had to hire a lawyer, actually, um, to, to go into the, the auction. And my grandmother would stand outside and would tell the lawyer which ones she wanted to get, wow. which ones she wanted and, and how much it was going to be. And I mean, how much she had with her that she could, you know, purchase these things. Now, all these brownstones were owned in Harlem, so nobody wanted them. Mm. And um, they bought a block, both sides of a whole block. Oh, my God. And um, so my mother grew up extremely wealthy. Um, And so much so that they literally had a mansion in New Rochelle. So when I say I have an ordinary, extraordinary family, that's, you know, where I'm coming from. That makes sense. Okay. <laughs> um, on my on my father's side, um, they're from Barbados, and um, they came over. And now again, um, they were wealthy. Mm-hmm. They, they 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 owned property, and um, my great grandmother on my father's side. Um, was actually was okay so let me give you a little bit about that that history when queen isabella forced the jews to leave forced the jews and the muslims to leave spain or to convert to catholicism because that's when the inquisition happened right a lot of the jews that left spain went to south america and then some went to what is then called the the british virgin islands okay i mean british west indies excuse me the British West Indies, Barbados was one of those, those. And so once you were on this island and in the middle of the ocean, and it was rather idyllic because you really don't get um, hurricanes and in that part of the Caribbean. You do every now and then, but not like you do in the eastern side of the Caribbean, you know? So you have this, this island and everybody is struggling to be alive. So everybody sees each other again with acceptance and you're just another human being. Totally. So my great-great-grandfather, my, my, my grandfather, great-great-grandfather and great-grandmother, my great-grandmother happened to be a Jewish woman from Europe. And my great-grandfather on the Barbadian side was a freed slave. So... Um, they eventually came to the United States because they came like all immigrants come to the United States to make a better way for their family, to make a, you know, a future for their children. So the children have more, you know, opportunities. I mean, they came for the same reason, 
but they came with money and they bought land, you know? So they, you know, when I, when I talk about wealth, I don't mean like millions and millions of dollars, you know, they were, were what we would now call upper middle class, but, but, you know, my mother went to, my mother had French lessons and had piano lessons and my father and writing lessons. And my father, you know, when, I mean, that's the way it was. Now my dad happened to be um, a brilliant man and was the first black programmer um, hired by IBM. And I know that because it was a big deal. (laughs) Um, And um, so that's my background. My background is not seeing, when I looked around the table, um, my mother's mother, my grandmother, parents was an Irish um, indentured servant and a black man. Um, he actually was lynched because he was married to my great grandmother. And we have that written. I mean, like we know that this happened, you know? And so she started saying that she was mulatto so that she could keep her children because they would have been taken from her so that she could keep her children and move forward with her life. But, um, we, we had, we knew our background and it was always, 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 always. The key to moving forward was one, having land and two, being educated. That they were hand in hand. Like there was not one without the other, which is why all of my children went to college. I mean, and it didn't matter. (laughs) It didn't matter what we had to do. That was going to (laughs) happen. You know? So, um, I, I, that, that's my background and I'm not, you know, I'm not hoity-toity. Um, I'm just me. So, but I, we, and, and my husband's family is the same way. They're from New Orleans, but you know, education, 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 education. And, you know, we're, that's who we are, you know? So I'm a doctor and he's an engineer with (laughs) it. No pressure, Beth. No pressure. <laughs> oh my God, amazing. I love pressure that. on anybody around here. Zero know. pressure. None. Not even a little bit. Oh my God. You know? I cannot believe it. So, how did your parents meet? My parents met. Okay, so, well, that is a whole other story because it's a, it's a bit of a scandal with that. Ooh, I love it. Okay. So my grandparents being Victorian, right? My my grandparents, my my grandfather, um my mother was born when my grandmother was are you ready for this? Almost 50. Wait, I'm sorry, say that again? Yeah. My grandmother was almost 50 years old when my mother was born. I love. So, she grew up with Victorian parents. So they wanted her to marry a young man who was my uncle's best friend and who my mother knew her entire life as Bill. I mean, he was just like a brother, another brother. It was an older brother. And um, 
you know, they wanted him, her to marry Bill. And she didn't want to marry Bill. It was like incestuous to her because that was her brother. I mean, I, I don't want to marry. So she goes to, um, she, she um, meets my father at a dance in a social hall, which she was not supposed to be there because good girls don't go there. So it was, it was scandalous that she met him there and then they fell in love and they got married and it, that's what happened. That's what happened. But it, you know, wasn't supposed to happen. I was supposed to be the daughter of Bill. Wait, oh my gosh. So as a birth, you know, advocate, mm-hmm. where, where was this nearly 50 year old mother giving birth? Was that a home birth? At home. Listeners, please just hear those bells. She had all four of her children at home. She had all four of her children at home. So, just, but, but that is, that is for two reasons. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know that if she had had the option to go to the hospital, would she have? Because you have to remember that at that point, most women were having their baby. You know, 95% of their women were still having babies at home. Um, It wasn't, so it wasn't a choice at that point. It was more like, this is what's going to happen. Right. You know, this is just what's going to happen and and that's it. So, um, so it it wasn't as earth shattering as you think. (laughs) It was, you know, like now 95% of all births happen in a hospital, uh, you know, like it's just ex- the, the social norm, the yeah. social norm, you know? Yeah. 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 I, I have a, one of the midwives that I get to work with a traditional midwife out here in Oregon. Um, she had a client who worked with her, you know, in her like mid late thirties to have the one baby that they were very planning and, you know, she had mm. beautiful home birth, mm-hmm. but then, you know, like 20 years later, she calls this midwife back and she's like, um, I'm pregnant. She was 51. <laughs> and, um, the midwife was like, great. All right. You know, she was like, what do I do? <laughs> and, you know, they just converse for a while. And she was like, well, you know, my body, if I'm too old, my body wants to terminate it. It will. But if I'm, you know, good to go, we'll, we'll, we'll go through. Right. And sure enough, she had a home, like happy little home birth at 52. I think the baby was like 42 weeks and, and it was all groovy, but you know, that's interesting. So in, in cultures across the world, you have women birthing into their fifties and it's uh, still quite normal, Mm -hmm. Um, but you know, here there's a lot of, what is it, you know, at age 36, you're determined geriatric pregnancy, which I'm sure you know the more, yeah. more about that than I do. Being <laughs> <laughs> um, a doctor, um, you know, from that yeah, side. I think we're going, we're, we're, I don't know, we're, we're, I am, I have to tell you, I just, I think we've gone like way to the other side. Um, of course. It's what I just, um, like, I just had a, I just had a, a, a grand rounds on a, a nine-year-old girl who's going, yes, she's going through precocious, meaning very early, um, menarche means that she started her period at nine. Okay. Um, her pediatrician has her on Depo-Provera. It, it's a birth, it's an injectable birth control. Um, and I was like, what? Wow. Wow. 
Um, I, I, woo, you know, I mean, we're, we're working very hard to keep women, and I'm not surprised at our infertility rates. I mean, I'm surprised, but not surprised at our infertility rates in our country. I mean, we work very hard to keep women from being able to have babies. We work very hard at it from the very beginning of them becoming sexually, not sexually active, but um, child at the childbearing age, you know? Can you dive into that deeper? Ooh, dive into that deeper. Um, now, there's nothing, now I have to say that there's nothing, there's nothing intrinsically wrong with birth control. I think that women having control over their bodies and being able to say, I want to have a baby, I don't want to have a baby, is where we should be. I am ready to do this, I am not ready to do this, is where we should be. I don't think that there is a nine-year-old on the face of this planet that is ready to have a baby. Um, so, but what I am concerned about is that when we start intervening so early in the natural processes of a woman's body, and then we're going to do it now, she's, she's nine. So now we're talking about a minimum of 10, 11, 12 years, right? That we're going to continue to do this. Um, and then once she gets to the point where she wants to have children, where now I'm ready, my life is set or not set, but I'm ready. This is the, the person I want to be with or I want to have this child with. Let's start this process. And we've shut it down. So there, there's, there is something to be, there's something to be said for both sides. I mean, yes, I, I get it. I 100% get it. I 100% get that we need to have control of our bodies and say when we want to be childbearing and when we don't want to be childbearing. But at the same time, I would love to see much more, at least something happening on the other side other than condoms, which hasn't changed for a man's, you know, man's body since the time of Adam and Eve. Okay. I mean, I would love for there to be somebody who would come up with a way. Let's reduce sperm count. Let's, you know, let's, why not? Why not? Why is it all about controlling the woman's body and none about controlling the man's body? That's all I'm saying. It's a very, very interesting question, isn't it? Yeah. Uh, yeah. Wow, we go in so many directions. This is just amazing. Yeah. Wow. <laughs> if, we, if we go down that road. <laughs> I know. I know. I know. We just have to have you back on the show. That's what's going to happen. <laughs> good doctor back on the show. Well, so, so I guess, I mean... I'm like, where do I take this now? Because what's your, what's your opinion in relationship with like the basal body temperature um, methods or, you know, of, of huh. like fertility awareness or, or even just like, you know, viscosity of vaginal discharge and, you know, no, noticing these things in our natural cycles. Like, do you think that there's, there's empowerment there and like using a diaphragm, like that's kind of, like well rain i i gotta tell you something honey <laughs> i gotta tell you something um 
gonna lay it. My, my third son, Kevin. Oh boy. <laughs> not my third son, but my 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 second child. Yeah. Beth is the third. Kevin, the second one. Yeah. Um, was born when I was doing all of those things. Right. The viscosity of the vaginal secretions and the basal temperature and all of that stuff and bingo. <laughs> Go. Uh, you know, yes. and, and to be quite honest, if those things work as well as we hope that they would, yeah. um, you would not have the birth rate that you have in so many countries. Yeah. And sadly, that's the truth. You know, yeah. totally. I mean, if you look at our at our Italian sisters, if you look at our um, Irish sisters, if you look at us right here in the United States, if you look at the Orthodox um, Jewish sisters, um, these are families with 10, 12, 14 kids. Yeah. Um, I wish it were a stable way to prevent births or to prevent pregnancies, excuse me. Yeah. Um, but simply it is not. And I, I wish it were. I wish, I wish it was that easy. Yeah. Then we could all say, okay, I don't need that pill. I don't need that shot. I don't need that. Okay. The thing about diaphragms is um, with, with spermicide, yeah. you got to kill those little buggers. Absolutely. With spermicide, um, I believe they're like 90% if it's placed properly. Right. If it's placed properly and if it doesn't move, and if and if, okay, um, I believe it's close to 90%, mm-hmm. like 89.9 or something like that, really close. Yeah. That's still a lot of percent. That's still 10%. Still a big okay. there, yeah. I'd you know, that's, that's still 10%. There's, and, there's um, a company called Kaya. I feel like I should like bring it and show it to you. I have one. It's like, mm-hmm. so you don't have to get fitted for it, but um, I have one and, and it's really funny, like, my husband, we actually might kind of try to prove that it doesn't work. Ah, <laughs> you know, like I think because like cause he like pulls out, you know, like it, it's we we um where I'm like my body is really ready for another baby. You know, we have mm-hmm. a lot of conversation of whether the world is really needs us to have mm-hmm. another one and and all of this. But, mm-hmm. uh, but it's funny. I'm, I really, cause he, he, I remember he just like looked at it with skepticism. He was like, Oh, Oh, I will. I will get past that. <laughs> <laughs> My guys will get past that thing. I, I really think we should. I really, I think may it, may it be so. I'm, I think we should do, you know, cause that would be, that would be a fun experiment to see just how, how long <laughs> it takes to break the walls down of that. Hello, hello, Rain is here to drop a line about my program, Rebirth. All right, so for the duration of March is the early bird special to get into my program to change your life, to redevelop your relationship with your instincts and your intuition, to understand yourself from birth through life and all the way to the end of life also known as death. (laughs) This is what my program is all about. And so March is going to be early bird admissions. April is going to be regular admissions. And then about halfway through May, uh, May 15th is going to be the uh, final day of 
intake for the program. The program begins at the end of May and it's going to last for six weeks. And we are going to do it in group format. I am so delighted to bring us all together and for us to use the strength of the pack to move through rebirth. Um, yes, together and just have an incredible metamorphosis transition into your most authentic self. So links in show notes. Join me. Let's do this. Back to the show. There was in the 1980s, there was a sponge. It was called the Today Sponge. Right. Um, Hello, Jessica. Um, Oh, stop it. No way. (laughs) Oh, my God. This is. And, um, (laughs) um, (laughs) so I got to tell you. Oh, you're killing me, Doc. You're killing me. You're just shooting down all of my fun, natural ways of trying to do that. I'm not trying to shoot them down, right? I just think no, that I'm not I there yet. I, I wish, I, honey, I, I know. I, I wish. I, I wish it were different, you know? I know. But um, I know that's like my, I have a friend, um, and I won't use her name right now, but she did. She was like, I got pregnant on my cycle, like while bleeding, mm-hmm. while bleeding. You know, which means that I don't know, maybe that the sperm had a lot of longevity, or who knows, or there was just like a random egg that flew out. But isn't it interesting? I mean, it really is interesting because that's what happens. I mean, yes, textbook says you know every fourteen days, every then twenty eight days, and oh, yeah. oh, right. But stuff happens. Stuff oh. happens, and it happens all the time. You know. I mean, you're not supposed to get pregnant if you're if you're if you're breastfeeding. Well, we know that doesn't work, right? I mean, there there it just ah yeah, you know, it's look look, and I'm I'm not you know we know that the only real birth control and remember it's called birth control. Yeah, it's not called birth not happening. Okay. (laughs) It's not called pregnancy not going to occur. It's called birth control. Mm-hmm. So you're controlling the amount of births that one woman can have in her lifetime. But you're not ending them. You're not saying pregnancy will not happen. Right. Okay. So yeah. even if you talk about the most effective, the wildest, mostly other than abstinence and other than a hysterectomy. I mean, we're not talking about yeah. those things, Okay. <laughs> But if you're just talking about, you know, our methods of birth control, we're still at 95.9, right? So it's not that foolproof. It's not. And something as simple as an antibiotic could mess it up. I mean, something as simple as a more acidic environment can mess it up. I mean, it's, it's yeah, you know? And amazing. So, I mean, our bodies are created or have evolved. That's that's how I want it. Our bodies have evolved to be able to do this miraculous, miraculous thing. It is miraculous to be able to grow a human being inside of it and then have it come into the the world to to meet the rest of its family, right? I mean, it is a miraculous thing. It's absolutely inexplicable magic and inexplicable (laughs) inexplicable but 
in order to do that, in order to do that so that humankind can continue to exist on this planet, there are a lot of things that have had to overcome. One of which is, I'm going to get pregnant, damn it. <laughs> right? I mean, you give me a healthy sperm, you give me a healthy egg, and we're going to come together and we're going to make a baby. Absolutely. But think of, think of all that has had to come together to make that possible. Yeah. So we can't just willy-nilly, like... Uh, right, right. Yeah, in a matter of, like, what, 50 years? Be like, oh, I, right, in 50 years, we're going <laughs> to undo millions of years of evolution. <laughs> <laughs> Or hundreds of thousands, or whatever. I'm not an evolutionary bio- biologist. I'm not even going to, to go there. But long freaking time. That yeah, yeah, yeah. We're not going to undo that in 50 years. No, that's a patriarchal idea. What? Did I say that? Oh, my God. Ooh. <laughs> Wait, can I? I need to take a pee break real quick. I overhydrated. Okay. I'll be right back. Okay. Oh. Oh, good. She just went to take a pee break. I'm I'm back. I'm sorry. We're back. No, no apologies. No, it's oh, this is so amazing. <clears throat> okay. Why is it back on? Here we go. <laughs> all right. So, okay. Well, so, oh, this is just amazing. It's amazing how we're circumventing all of these topics. It's just, uh, but so your birth, mm-hmm. What do you know about your, like when you came through, what was Oh, that? nothing. Nothing? No, nothing, nothing. I don't know nothing. anything I was born that. in, uh, I, I was born in Mount Sinai Hospital. That's it. I, oh, I right on. That's it. Okay. You do know, well, do you know what the birthing methods of that particular time were? Like, could you even guess what that might have been like oh absolutely um mothers were knocked out totally knocked out yeah totally knocked out totally knocked out and then um they would use forceps to bring the baby out if they needed to um and um you know if they needed to I mean let's be real like um were were obstetricians some obstetricians yeah but you get that all the time right but the reality is is if we didn't have forceps we would have had even more maternal deaths and and perinatal deaths i mean even more um so while i i think that there are people who um go forceps reality is 
you had a healthy baby and a healthy mom and the head was going to shrink back and go, you know, was going to um, be okay. Mm-hmm. So that's, that's the right outcome, right? You yeah. know? How, what, just, what number are you? In terms of years? No, or like, uh, um, like I'm six, the first, the first like, of three. We're the first of three. I'm the first okay. of three. Yeah, I'm the first of three. Now, interesting, of course, this is back in the 50s. Everybody yeah. smoked everywhere all the time. Oh, yeah. My mother was a smoker, as was my father. And um, my sister, who was born right after me, um, was born three months premature. And they wouldn't even let my mother see her because my mother was only was only was just at six months when my my sister was born. Wow. Um, Probably born premature because my mother smoked and and smoking you know, um, one of the, one of the dangers of smoking is premature births, uh, is premature birth. And so they didn't let my mother see my sister for three days because they said, don't get attached. And they just put her into, there was no incubator. There was just, it was just an isolate. They just put her in and they put her in the corner and she survived and they expected her to die. Yeah. Yes. Wow, what a and after time. three days, because this now mothers at that point were staying in the hospital week, 10 days. Um, after three days, they came to my mother and said, Well, she's still alive. So if you want to feed her, start you can start feeding her. And so she was able to breastfeed at that point, like she Yeah. Yes. Wow. Yeah. All and that was that was revolutionary because women didn't breastfeed. So you were uh, breastfed too. Hmm? You were breastfed too. I was not. You were not. But she I was did. not because my grandmother was absolutely against breastfeeding because, you know, dogs do that, you know. So um, I was a bottle fed and probably um, back then the formula was evaporated milk and taro syrup with water. So um, that's what I know that that's what I got, which is probably why I've been battling the battle of bulge my whole life. Um, and my, my mother tried breastfeeding my sister, but she wouldn't latch, um, mm. because she was so, so small. So they did do, you know, with a tube. And uh, I mean, if you think about a six month gestational child, you're talking about fitting in your hand, you know, fitting in your hand. So they actually did. Um, I remember my mother telling me that they would pull it up with a straw and drop it into her mouth pull it up with a straw and drop it into her mouth, you know, like that. Yeah. Yeah. And then somebody at one point gave her an eyedropper. Like feeding a baby bird. I mean, yes. Yeah. Well, and you know, the comparison that I want to draw at the moment is how we were just (laughs) laughing about how life finds a way, you know, Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. like Jurassic Park quote. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I love it too. It's, um, it's not only this sort of inexplicable pregnancies at different times of the cycle. That's supposed to be so perfect, you know, mm-hmm. also, mm-hmm. you know, I, it's so interesting on zoom where I can actually see myself and my reaction yeah. is very like, <laughs> telling and gr- reminding me to ground and, but, you know, to be shocked at your sister's survival. Yeah is is it's interesting because on one hand it's shocking but on the other hand it's not 
Do you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like mm-hmm. It's so, and then it's oh. like, what is that? You know, yeah, we all say, all of us say, you know, you were meant to be here. You know, you were absolutely meant to be here. So um, when she's whining about something, I said, get your, get it together. girl. You were <laughs> supposed to be here. That's amazing. <laughs> Guys, I have a real preemie friend who I can't wait. To, I'm going to shed that that wisdom yes. on. Yeah. Shout yeah. out Glennie Brown. Oh my and god. This is this is back in 1958. I mean, in 1958, preemies you you were just put into a dark corner and allowed to die, you know, because there wasn't anything else to do. Keep you warm, keep you safe, mm-hmm. but allow you to just, you know, go. You know, so that's that. Now, interestingly enough, hope just just I um just in this past August, um, when my youngest daughter, I won't use her name, but my youngest daughter um had her her second baby, her first baby um was born vaginally, but her second baby was transverse, you know. Was oh, wow. horizontal and he just wouldn't turn every time they tried to turn him he just turned himself back he said no I'm not saying I'm not doing this you know <laughs> and and um the day that we went into the hospital this was right before the second COVID shutdown so I was allowed to go in wow. it was just me and her husband that were allowed to go in uh Kevin wasn't allowed to go <laughs> in because anyway but um we were there for her and the, the chief medical officer who happened to be one of her obstetricians came in and said, well, if he's turned, you know, you're going home. You don't, don't worry about it. And he put one hand on her abdomen and said, you're having a baby today because he's, this is his head. You know, I mean, he was like a log going straight across <laughs> and, and she was, you know, Past the due date, I mean, it was, you know, a lot. But it struck me how just 50, 60 years ago, we would have lost both of them. We would have lost both of them. And so while I I, I go roar about mental medical intervention, I also go, yay, you know, because um, I have my beautiful grandson and my beautiful daughter. You know, so yeah, and it's, and, yeah. It's like and knowing the time and place, and 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 yeah, I'm, and that's the thing too. Like with me and on this, on this show, um, mm-hmm. on this platform, you know, I'm, I am, I just want to reiterate, you know, that I'm open and, and yeah. accepting, yeah. and that like just because I had my baby at home and the circumstances were all, you know, yeah. A, a, yeah. a go for me mm-hmm. it's mm-hmm. not like I'm not a binary thinker like I'm not right. like one it's not either or no mm-hmm. it's you know mm-hmm. there's a there's a full range and it's um and it's uh but it's and it's about knowing it's about that instinctual knowing knowingness to go with to go with your instinct and to follow you know and if that is truly you know the path for mama baby maybe so you know, mm-hmm. absolutely mm-hmm. why, you know, yeah. modern medicine has, has, uh, has grown and developed alongside humans and gotten us to where we are now. Yeah. 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 And, and, 
And honestly, and I already knew that. I know you I know. I know you have to say that for your listeners. But um exactly. <laughs> but and I and I don't want anybody to think that I am against uh, on the same vein. I don't want anybody to think I'm against home births because um I think that if if you have a um I wish in New York state, I do wish in New York state there was there was more support for women because I live in New York. Yep. So I wish there was more support for women who were able to have to go to birthing centers where it's run by midwives or to have a midwife at your home and it's not seen as a criminal activity. Wait, is it criminal in New York? Oh, no, 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 no. I don't mean criminal as in the justice system. I mean criminal in terms of like, how could you do that? Yes, innocent innocent bystander criminal. Yeah, you know, like, how could you do that? You know, um, because, you know, 99, 98, 97, somewhere very high of all births are just a go. You know, yeah. Yeah, make mom as comfortable as you can and let her body do its thing, you know? Yeah. So, was so, that, so was that your experience? Like, because you're a mother of three? Four. Four, four. four. That's right, four. Mm-hmm. You're a mother of four. So let's segue into those stories and the wisdom, okay. the wisdom that, you, that you arrived at from those four experiences. <laughs> all of my... All of my children were born in hospitals. Interestingly enough, they were born by the same um, OB group, with the exception of Allie. Allie was born with a different group, but uh, the, the younger three were all born with the same group. They were all born in different hospitals because it depended on where the doctor was on call. Ah, okay. You see? So, um, so it depended on yeah, on that. Um, but they were all by the same, the same, the same actually. <laughs> one and and I, I really I had great first experiences. Now they were all in different hospitals. Some hospitals I like better than others, but um <laughs> you know, what can I tell you? What can I tell you? But they were all in the hospital. Yeah. It did wasn't even an option given to me to think now they were not medicated. Um I did Lamaze, we did Lamaze training with all three of them. So they weren't medicated births, but there was never a discussion of, well, would you like to have this job? Yeah. Yeah. Um, what, and so, and, but describe too, like, because of your relationship with medicine, were you less? Now, before we go forward, I just have to say this. I want to make this, this distinction very, very, very clear. Okay. Um, and I'm sorry to, to jump in, but no, it, it, it came into my mind and we left my mind and it came back. Um. Yeah. I am a doctorally trained nurse practitioner. Right. I'm not a med, and I know you know that, but I am not a medical doctor or uh, not an MD or a DO. So I just want your readers to know that, or your listeners to know that. Right. But anyway, don't worry. We'll do, we'll. I, that's I'm going to ask for a very for a bio for you so that anyone <laughs> wants to nerd out can like totally nerd out on who. Okay. You are. Okay. Um, but so. yeah. But so, but 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 even but exactly. But as nurse practitioner you have a different so what i'm about is like you know that your energy like your energy field how safe you feel in hospitals someone who's a nurse mm. 
you know, mm-hmm. kind of knows the drill and like yeah. you know, yeah. your vibration. It's like, you're kind of like, you're going home, you know? Okay. It's the, right. like you're, you're okay now, but at this point, when I was having the kids, yeah, I was an English teacher. Oh, right. Right. Oh, right. Yeah, that's right. That's right. So I was teaching English. So when I was going to these hospitals, I didn't know anything. I was like, what is going on here? Right. You, you know? were still, you were yeah, still like a, like a layman. in the, Yeah. Okay. Very much so. Very much so. So, so um, did you have fear in that space or like, but you did Lamaze. So did Lamaze, that, did. that, that helped that, a lot. That, that gave me a lot of of understanding of what was happening to my body and the different stages of birth, the all four stages and what was going on in my body during each of those stages. And it helped Kevin too, you know, so he understood what was going on. And, um, and that was fantastic. That was, and that was really because it was through Lamaze that I found out about La Leche and all four of my children were breastfed, you know? Uh, and interestingly enough, though, back to, to my mom, mm. my grandmother was absolutely 100% breastfeed uh, against breastfeeding. Right. But with my third sister, my mother found her voice and she said, this is what I want to do. Now, my grandmother was, I can't believe you're doing this. And I can remember because I'm seven years older than my youngest sister. So I can remember uh-huh. the conversations yeah. that I wasn't supposed to hear yes. because children were seen and not heard um, about this. But um, my mother was absolutely put her foot down with my youngest sister. Now, when I was having my children, my mother was 100% supportive of me breastfeeding my children um like 100 the only thing she wanted me to have was um one set of bottles so that if for something like i was sick or something went wrong or whatever i had another way of feeding the baby but other than that she was 100 100 you know for me doing it so so i wanted to just throw that in there but for me learning about my body being able to feed my child and all of that. That was because Lamaz and La Leche, you know, and that was, that was a really great experience. That was a really great experience. Now, you know, there were some things of La Leche, like, you know, like, you know, yell at the nurse if she gives your baby water. I never did that because I think that that's like kind of like, you know, Karen-ish, you know, like your kid is laying there hungry. You're not going to give him water. I mean, Jesus. <laughs> that's so funny i didn't know that was part of the deal. oh yeah oh yeah that was like you know like you make sure that those nursery nur- nurses do not give your baby a bottle because once they take a bottle they'll never go to the breast wow. well that wasn't true but not for me that was not my experience that was not your experience that was not my experience i can't speak for others but that was not my experience but yeah. once we got latched on and attached and my milk came in they went from breast to cup all of them. And, and I breastfed long. <laughs> my mother-in-law told me that my son, um, your son, he's going to be like one of those kids down south that comes home off the bus from school and says, can I have num-nums? <laughs> <laughs> oh my God. I know. I mean, Wolfie, I mean, t- long. I've 
literally Wolfie breastfed when he, the day he turned four was the day that he never had it again. Wow. But you're longer than me. I was. Yeah. Well, two years. You really breastfed until like breastfed actually like for like milk exchange, you know, I mean, probably until he was like two and a half or three. Okay. From the year three to four, it was only like every once in a while at night when we were reading a book or whatever, he would like kind of retouch, Mm -hmm. you know, and and then Mm -hmm. if something like if he like fell and hurt himself real bad, like he would sometimes want to do it just for a second. Like, and I just kind of, you know, it's like, you know, again, like you said, sort of super on the other side. Like I was Mm -hmm. just like, I'm going to be open to this. I'm going to be open to this. Um, And yeah, but then, and it was, and and then he electively on the fourth birthday, just like, there was like an energetic release and like a, you know, so it is a long time, but again, like for listeners, I kind of, I want to share that just because a lot of what we're talking about, you know, in the energy of the previous generations and how Mm -hmm. they, and how they shape us. And then what this is, you know, Mm -hmm. speaking to a mother figure who I very personally knew you as a mother figure and as a wise elder. Yes. Mm -hmm. I mean, it's, um, it's cool that we can share these stories, Mm -hmm. your experience Mm -hmm. of breastfeeding and how was it supportive for you, my experience and how together, like, look at how together Mm -hmm. you're paving a way for the next generations to, you know, release some of that, um, sort of systemic and, and like, uh, oppressive nature of the past couple of generations that happened, you know, how we can just sort of break that down, fizzle yeah. it out and, yeah. and return to, um, you and, know, and, balance. And, yeah. and I, I agree with you, but I also want to say that the important thing at the end of the day, the important thing is that babies are fit, right? Yeah. So we do have moms who by choice or by nature or by the fact that they have to work or, they just whatever choose to bottle feed and that's okay too because the bottom line is that babies are fed you know I mean I had my experience you had your experience I don't want any mom listening here or any woman to think that if they choose to bottle feed from day one that there's something wrong with that decision because there's not there is not anything wrong with that decision I mean, the fact is that man, the, the formula, um, I, I'm, I even hesitate to use the word manufacturers because it sounds so artificial and I'm not trying to put any dispersion on this at all. But the folks who make formula are dedicated to making it as close to breast milk as they can so that all babies have a good start in life. Yeah. So, miss, ma'am. If you are out there and you're thinking, I really don't want to do this, that's okay. Yeah. It's okay. Don't feel guilty. Do not feel like your child isn't going to have something. Do not feel like you're a bad mom because God knows we go through life thinking we're a bad mom. Yeah. That's part of being a mom is, is you go, I'm a bad mom, <laughs> you know, but do not feel that way. Do not feel that way. Um, Love your child, feed your child, 
you yeah, know just like you said you know his children were seen not heard exactly oh yeah oh my goodness yes that was a whole oh that was a that was a whole i was <laughs> that and they were serious they were they were serious you know um you know children not being seen and not heard was just you spoke when you were spoken to. You were always polite. I have no problem with that. You know, um, my my son still says yes sir, no sir. Yeah. You know, part of because he's a marine, but part <laughs> of because he 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 was he that was the way they grew up. You know, um, but but um, it wasn't that we weren't loved. It's that we had our place. That we had our there was a time and a place which has gotten fuzzy now. Um, yeah. When I see children involving themselves in the conversations of an adult, I still go, oh. mm-hmm. you know, I mean, oh. or when I see adults having very adult conversations in front of children, I, I still go, oh. you know, I mean, and that's just, and I just, I feel like it's, just the evolution of our species. We've evolved just so much in the past hundred years mm-hmm. that it, I mean, it's all challenging in, in just like a sort of next level way. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And, um, and so what I just tried to do in my own, in my own work and like this, the course that I lead, for example, rebirth, I really, I just try to release this whole concept of right and wrong entirely. And I, and I try to embrace, you know, like we're speaking English, right? So like the English mm-hmm. language is, and you're an English teacher, really tie the room <laughs> together. You know, it, we're talking about a lot of words. And yeah. I actually spoke with, uh, with Elizabeth on the True Beauty of a podcast when I was a guest, you know, that having children isn't just this like, yay, we have children and it's so yeah. close and parties, you know, and whatever. It's Oh, oh my gosh work and it's and you know so so what i said on that show and i'm going to say it here is parenting and partnering and all of this it's supportive and it's mm-hmm. yeah it's uplifting and it's completely annihilating <laughs> it's you know it is like it is this rainbow of emotions mm-hmm. it's the highest of highs the lowest of lows the most insane, mundane, drab, you know, like it's just all of these feelings. Like, mm-hmm. and so just breaking down that right or wrong, you know, breaking down mm-hmm. with like, you know, Sally's a good girl and or a bad girl today. Mm-hmm. You know, it's like really mm-hmm. we're having to expand and open the aperture and see humanity mm-hmm. in such a yeah. different way. And yeah. 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 So like, Oh, I love that. You have to open the aperture and see humanity in a different way. I love that. Yeah. Yeah, we do. We do. Yeah. That's the deal. Right. You know, it's interesting. You should say that because going back to education, um, I have a grandson who has ADHD Mm -hmm. and he's now in a gifted program and a gifted school and he's where he should be. Mm -hmm. But it took two years to get him into that school. So his kindergarten experience was emotionally damaging because his kindergarten teacher would refer to him as that 
bad boy. And he's a bad boy. Okay. So it was emotionally gut-wrenching as an educator and as somebody who has raised their children to, to love education to see my grandson hate the thought of going to school because of the way it made him feel. So we encouraged him to, to talk about his feelings, to express himself, to let us know, you know, whatever. But it was, it was, it was, it was, and, and the school was unhelpful, totally unhelpful. So then he went from there, because he had to be there that year. He went to a magnet school where it was a brand new teacher. He had a IEP in place. He had all those things in place, but she was brand spanking new. Okay. (laughs) This was literally her first, first grade class she ever taught. Literally. Okay. So you have this kid who's going through the work like that. And then gets bored. Even she could see that he was going through work like that and then bored. And then because of his boredom, he's reaching out to this one and let's talk, let's play, let's do, you know, whatever. Her answer to this was to set up a scale so that for half of the day was who in the classroom was a good child. And who in the classroom was a bad child? Okay. So when we, when you talk about the things that you're saying, you know, you have Sally's a good girl today. John is a good boy today. You know, you don't understand what you're doing to the psyche of the child who is not a bad child. No. There's something that there's some need that you're not meeting. Correct. You know, and when you know that you're not meeting a need, then you have to expand your aperture, as you said, expand your aperture to figure out how can we meet this need? We said, can he bring in extra books? Can he bring in extra er, extra work? Can he bring? No, you cannot do that. Well, why not? Because the other class, the other kids don't have it, but they're, <laughs> they don't need it. But he did. So anyway, it's no longer an issue. From the third grade on, he's been in, in, in gifted programs and it's been wonderful. But it's interesting that you should have said that. And now again, I'm bringing it into my world with opening the aperture and seeing that each of us is, you just have to have an expanded viewpoint. You have to, you have to. Interesting. That was very, that was, that was, that was mind blowing there, Rain. Oh, you oh girl. <laughs> Shoulder to shoulder, here we are. Yeah, wow. Well, and you know, and oh, I'm and I'm thinking so many things. It's like his experience somehow, you know, that struggle of the kindergarten, first, second grade, somehow that struggle is then going to the growth exchange that he's gonna have and the power that he's now in in the place, you know, that is, that is fostering him and that is giving him support and buoyancy mm-hmm. through this process, you know. Well, it, he now loves school. I, I have to also say that. Good. He now loves school. He loves being there. 
because it is it is a place of acceptance. It is a place of learning. It is a place where his peers, some have ADHD, some don't. Some have this, some have that. But he's able to articulate that, see it, and it, and embrace and it, embrace it all. You know, yeah, yeah. So you see how all these children are just flourishing. You know, and it's it is all about that one word acceptance and not needing to to um label a child as good or bad you know wonderful wow okay wait i'm i'm taking an unexplained or yeah un, un, um documented term but so yeah how long have you and kevin been married uh, we've been together 42 years. Oh my God. <laughs> <laughs> the wisdom of partnering. <laughs> yeah. Oh 42 years. God. That's a long time. It's a long so time. Yeah. You but, and then at the same time, it feels like a little more than a blink of an eye. You know, like a little bit, like I, I feel like, you know, I mean, I, when I look at, couples who have been married for a long time and believe it or not I I don't feel like I'm one of them I know <laughs> I know that in terms of the world yeah but when I look at like oh, take for instance Queen Elizabeth and Prince Philip right I mean like I admire that woman so much mm-hmm. I really do I admire her so much because she is 96 years old and she gets up and goes to work and does her very best every single day and has done it for 70 years. God bless her. Oh, you know, and now she's doing it without the love of her life next to her. Like, how do you do that? You know, because I am, Kevin used to travel for, for work sometimes. Um, and there was a time when he was out in Utah and I was here and it was just, it was just a terrible time. It was just, you know, one of those rough patches in life, you know, not between us, but just a rough patch in life. And I felt like, like half of me was gone and I'm a strong person, you know, but I felt like half of me was on the other side of the world when it's just Utah from New York to Utah. And, you know, and he was working 13 hour days, but he was calling at lunchtime. He was, you know, we were FaceTiming, you know, we were staying very much in contact. Mm-hmm. But I felt very alone, very, very alone, you know? So it's, you know, I'm hoping to have another 42, 45 years. Absolutely. <laughs> oh my God, I know. I mean, barely catch the wise elder category, but I'm throwing you in there. <laughs> <laughs> May it be so. Well, so, I mean, and when, when, as you were speaking about bringing it back to acceptance, you know, mm-hmm. like for those of us, you know, I feel like many of my listeners are in this um, either thinking about becoming parents or they've just become parents or they've been parents for, you know, six to eight years mm-hmm. 14 at some point. But, you know, when you, when you start to hit these partner walls, you know, and like the, and, 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 and how, like, is it, is it yet again, accepting your partner 
for exactly who they are in exactly the moment. Is that like the key? Well, <laughs> that be the key. Part of it is that both of you have to grow. And in our relationship, we have found we have found that the most growth happens at the worst times. Like you grow through adversity, you know. You appreciate each other in the good times, but you grow as a as a couple through adversity. Being together, being on the same page, and just pushing through. Now you're not going to do that perfectly. Nobody does that perfectly. You're going to have times when you're on the on opposite ends of the spectrum, and you have to find where your same page comes in. Mm-hmm. Um, and my kids tell me that um, we are an extraordinary couple. I don't know. I also understand. I've, I've come to understand something. Mm-hmm. And this is something that's, I think, recently I've grown into this. Um, that every marriage doesn't look like mine. And that's okay. As long as the people that are in, within that marriage, their marriage to them feels like the way it should be then that's okay. But it doesn't have to be like mine to be a happy marriage. I have an aunt and uncle that um, my uncle has passed away, but I have an aunt and uncle who obviously I knew my whole life and I don't know a day that they weren't fussing at each other about something. (laughs) You know, they were always fussing at each other about something. But I also knew that they loved each other dearly. Mm. You know, and that, Although there was this facade almost of there was a connection there that nothing was going to break, you know? So Kevin and I are not a couple that fuss at each other dearly. And if we're on separate sides of the fence or separate sides of an issue, we may go, you know, like he can go to his den and I can be in mine and then we can come back together and, and talk and speak to each other sensibly, you know? Mm-hmm. But the important thing is that you do eventually come together and talk about it and figure out a solution. Mm-hmm. That's because then there's no resentment. You find that what we have seen is that people who resent things and hold on to what they consider well, I compromise, but, you know, I really didn't want to do that. But I, I, I said, all right. Well, that's a resentment. And that sits, sets a seed. And that seed will germinate. And eventually it'll kill. It will kill the relationship, you know. Um, and so it's a, it's a lot of hard work. People ask me all the time, is it worth it? It's the, one of the hardest jobs you will ever do in your entire life. But is it worth it? Absolutely. Absolutely. I, yes, absolutely it's worth it. Um, the same with, with, with having children. If you choose to have children, right. it will be the second hardest job because you can control this other person so much just to this. But by the time they're, they're 16, they're saying bye. bye i'll see you later i'm going out with johnny and jim and jane and sue um goodbye i'm going with you know 
and that's it, you know? And you have to grow up, you have to grow with them so that you can say goodbye and let and launch them. You know, you've got to go and and let them and let them go. They may come back home. They may I've had kids who have had to come back home and then relaunch, you know, but that's okay. Of course. Because now they're 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 all flying. Yeah. They're all flying, the you know. Is definitely- all of them. The flock has been gone for a long time. <laughs> oh my gosh! But I love that. I really appreciate that. I, it's mm-hmm. funny. I'm like looking at my notes. And I'm like, God, I, how did I not? How did I not write that down here? But it's doesn't matter, right? Because no, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. You said you wanted a very organic conversation, and it takes us where it takes us, and you know. That's what we're doing. And you'll cut and paste it later. <laughs> I won't even, I won't, I won't. I think it's so beautiful just the way it is. But now rain something else that, um, since your, your, your listeners are such are, in my opinion, young parents, mm-hmm. I want to give them, you asked about why, why, wise elders. Yeah. They're, 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 I'm still learning. I'm still learning. And I have all adult children. Um, and I'm still learning, but there, here's one thing that I have learned, but I continue to learn, okay? Mm-hmm. Is that is parenting adults. Mm-hmm. How does one parent adults? Parenting adults means that you've given them the foundation and then you see them walking towards a cliff and you say to them, do you see that cliff over there? I go, yep, I see that cliff. Okay. And you shut up. And they get closer to the cliff. And you say, "Mm, you're getting kind of close to that cliff. Do you see it there? Yeah, I see it, okay? All right. (laughs) They're on the edge of the cliff. You can see they're about to fall into the abyss. Mm -hmm. And you say, honey, do you see that cliff? And they go, I see it. And they fall off the cliff. Uh-huh. And your job is to be at the bottom of the cliff mm. and to say, the next time will you recognize the cliff? Not an I told you so. It is not always let me help you back up. It is simply asking your adult child to recognize the cliff before they fall off. That is hard to do when you used to pick out that kid's clothes or what they were going to wear to school. And that's another level of growth. Like you never stop growing as a parent or you should not ever stop growing as a parent. So that if you're, I am not a meddling mother-in-law. If you are having trouble and you want to talk to me, you can, but your spouse will never know what you say. I believe in HIPAA and relationships, you know? <laughs> the best quote yet. Yes. Okay. <laughs> your, your spouse will never know that we even had a conversation. And they will never hear from me your side. I'm just your sounding board. If you want advice and you ask for it, okay. But I'm not here to 
no, no, I'm not here to do that. So I'm not gonna, you know? But those are the two pieces of advice. Stay out of your children's marriage because marriage is not three people, it's two people. And the other one is be supportive. I, I have a, somebody I work with right now who really is in a tough bind and I don't know what I would do. But she has a son who's married to a woman that's not a good relationship. They have one child. They've been bailed out of trouble a lot. They're about to be evicted again. And she said to me, do I, what do I do? They asked if they could come live with me. I don't know the answer. I don't know that answer. But whatever she she and her husband decide, I'm going to be supportive because, you know, they're trying to, to, to help. And I get it. You don't want your kid to be homeless, but at the same time, you want them to stand on your own two feet. Right? Hello, hello, Rain again, just here to drop a line about my masterclass. So I'm sponsoring myself for my free masterclass. If you are interested in healing yourself, in understanding yourself, in deepening your relationship with your instincts and intuition, this is step one of working with me. Head over to my website, watch my masterclass for free and feel out sort of the roots, the foundations to what it means to work with me. All right, back to the show. Well, and gosh, and as I'm like looking at you speaking, I'm thinking about the job opportunity that you spoke about earlier and, it, and how what you're talking about is like soundness of mind, like yes, or you as you as an individual and you playing this role as a soundboard and, you know, releasing your attachment to that relationship, the ability to be empathetic towards mm-hmm. it, the ability to hear and to be a soundboard and to not be mm-hmm. mental of the situation, right. right? but then not to attach yourself to being part of fixing it. Right. Fixing it. Fixing it. That is, I mean, gosh, they really, they do the fire you. Because it's true. I mean, you're teaching mental soundness. You're, tre- you're teaching, you're aware, and you practice it in your own life how mm-hmm. to, you know, and it's, it's a survival. You know, it's like how to protect mm-hmm. yourself from this, um, just like from the emotional realities eating away at you because yeah you wouldn't be able to show up in your own way right you wouldn't be able to show up as as a partner to kevin and you know it's so it is so and this i do believe that this is the divine mother like this is your divine feminine power coming through this ability to hold emotional space Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. in, in in observation without judgment and sort of like unconditional, really unconditional love. I mean, that's what you're describing for this colleague, even is you know, yeah. you're, you're holding her in unconditional love, being like, wow, you're in a really tough spot. I'm not here to tell you what to do, but I am going to support you. No matter yeah. What. Like, yeah. oh, that's amazing. Yeah. Yeah. Because she she's, yeah. and she's, you know, they're hurting, people are hurting, you know, we're here to support each other. Yeah. 
um, you know, that, God, if we don't do that, then what are we doing here? <laughs> oh, I mean, what are we doing? What What are we doing? What are we doing? Well, and so that, like, I'm going to look, I'm looking at my, and what just jumped out, you know, is, is the Black Lives Matter and your experience and your observations. Like, what are we doing? What, what is allyship? What, how can, you know, what would you say as a Black American, as a Black woman to any listener of any color here and now? What is the calling? Wow. That, you know, you told me that, <coughs> that's a powerful question. Yeah. That's a powerful question. I will tell you from my experience, okay? Because that's all I can speak from, is I would like, I would like my white sisters and brothers to listen, to not explain away, to not, to not diminish what you're hearing. My father one time said that you need to see yourself not as you see yourself, but as others see you. And in the same vein, you have to sometimes look past how somebody says it and listen to what they say. So even if you don't like the visage, you don't like the clothing, the hairstyle, the whatever that somebody has, but the message that they have is powerful, listen to that, especially if you don't agree with them, especially if you don't agree, because maybe you don't agree because you don't understand. And if you can get to a place of understanding that you don't understand, that's allyship, right? It's not only when you understand and I'm coming to help you because I understand, it's also, I have no idea. But what you're saying makes me feel that I need to learn more learn more. I'm not asking people to go out to march. I'm not asking, I'm asking people to vote. <laughs> I am a big <laughs> voting advocate. <laughs> okay. That was awesome. <laughs> <laughs> you need to vote. I don't care whether you have to stand in line for hours. I don't care if you stand in line for days. I don't care if you mail it in. I don't care if you have to put a thumbprint down. You have to vote. Your voice has to be heard in order to move the needle, okay? If you go to every march on, on from coast to coast and you don't vote, you've wasted your time. <laughs> oh my God, that's okay. amazing. Yeah. Loud and clear. So you Thanks. have to vote. You have to have your voice heard. And in this country, that's the only way to have your voice heard. So you gotta vote. People gotta vote. Get registered and vote. <laughs> and I don't care who you vote for, but you gotta have your voice heard. Right, well- because voting is community. I mean, that's like, yes. that's what just kind of came through for me is that like, it is, yeah, you can stand in the, in a picket line or you can, yeah, yeah. do that. But 
and that it is community. I'm not downplaying. Mm-hmm. But, no, but exactly. I mean, the 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 framework and the ability to have a vote. You know, it's it's one of my teachers. It's one of the greatest things. He says, anything you're doing, just flip the words. Oh, I have to let my dog out. I get to walk, let, let my dog out. Mm-hmm. I have to, you know, vote. I get to vote. You get to vote. You know, like I have mm-hmm. to go to work today. No, no, I get to vote. It, it's right. just this tiny perspective shift that literally mm-hmm. enough mm-hmm. aperture. And it changes, right, right, right. Because understand that our country is is built upon every single major change that has happened in the development of our country. You know, no taxation without we, we oh hold on my son-in-law. No taxation without re- representation, right? Um I'm sorry, Rain, I have to take this because if he's calling me, there's something wrong. So let me just call him back real quick. Sure. Hey, everything okay? Ah, okay. Okay, no worries. I'll call you back in a little bit. Okay, bye, honey. He never calls me. (laughs) Something like diabolical happens, like (laughs) some medical something. (laughs) Oh, I just called because I missed your call yesterday and I just want to see how you're doing. Oh. For the first time in 15 years. <laughs> we got it on we got it on camera. We got it on friggin' film here, recorded, documented. You're such oh my a, god, it's so funny. But, but um and I did I, this is not my original thought, but I saw it written someplace. I'm trying really hard to think of who mm. said this, but um, you know, so our, our the, the founding of our fan of our country is we wanted to get away from the monarchy. We wanted to get away from absolute monarchy. We wanted to have a say in how the, the determination of how we wanted the country to go. So when you think about our in, the, the independence, when you think about the Civil War, which is yes, about slavery, but is also about the rights of states to have a say in their own determination. It was about slavery. They wanted to determine whether or not they could have slaves, okay? Right, right. Not trying to divorce that, but it was the, the, the right to have a determination of their future. The civil rights music movement is the same way. And quite frankly, if the right to vote was not so germane to the American experience, there would not be such a fight right now to take it away from so many people and to make it difficult, more difficult for your voice to be heard. It would not be happening. And the fact that this is happening solely to the the black and brown communities. It's not happening in in the white communities. Um, It is happening in the black and brown communities. So our voices are being silent, or they're trying to silence our voices at the polling box, you know, Um, which we cannot let happen. We, We simply cannot let that happen. And so, you know, voices of all kinds need to be heard and we need to, as entrenched and as much as I believe that this has been a difficult 
conversation in our country about the Second Amendment and what it works and what it, what it means and when it does work and when it doesn't work and all that stuff. Um, and I live in upstate New York where, you know, you know, hunting is, you know, the life, right? Um, I think we need to have as entrenched in our country where people will will do anything that they can to stop it from being taken away should be the right to vote. Yeah. Should be the right to vote, you know, so that anybody 18 and above can have their voices heard. So when you ask about allyship, I have to say, please be a part of the process and not just a part of voices. Okay. Um, Being in the voices is fine. But the process is what makes the change. And the change happens at the ballot box. The change happens in the, the Sullivan County Legislature's office. You know, I mean, those are where the changes happen. And then where the, the thing that I truly believe got corrupted, it's not that Black lives are the only ones that matter. It's that they matter too. (laughs) They matter also, you know, that black and brown lives do matter, that we are a part of this country. We are a part from the very founding of this country. The first person who died for this country's independence was a black man. It was Christmas Atticus. We learn that every single one of us learns that. He He was a free black man. The first person to die for the freedom of this country was a black man. We're here from the very beginning and we intend to stay. So, you know, allow us to buy the homes, allow us to have the business loans, allow us to get the car loans, allow us to do the things that, you know, to, to beautify our, 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 the neighborhoods where, you know, black and brown people are so that they can be proud of their home too. You know, I mean, you know, and then, you know, stop this nonsense, this this fiction about black and black crime, because frankly, crime is on somebody. (laughs) You know, I mean, you have white on white crime, you have Asian on Asian crime, you have I mean, but the only one that is reported by the FBI is black people doing something bad by black people as if the rest of the the crime that's happening doesn't exist. Right. How, how like idiotic is that? How, how is that crazy? How is that not crazy? Bizarrely. Yeah. It's bizarre. It's bizarro world. Bizarre. <laughs> yeah. I mean, well, you know, and, and something that it's funny because, <laughs> you know, Elizabeth wouldn't, wouldn't talk with me about this on recording. So okay. I went to the source. I went to her mother. <laughs> but she you know in one of our in one of our back and forth conversations because this was just I mean erupting inside of me I was just like you know and she said I don't even remember what I said to prompt it oh yes I do actually um I was uh it was about literally <laughs> from a Parsons perspective I was like you know from a design perspective here black is not even accurate like the skin of human beings is a very the beautiful rainbow or you know value scale of brown. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Where does mm-hmm. the word black even come from? 
And so then, and she pulls the slavery mm-hmm. conversation. And then, mm-hmm. and then when blacks or when African, when African humans who mm-hmm. have been brought from Africa now have been living on this continent for, you know, a couple of, maybe even a hundred years. <laughs> no, not millennia, a hundred years, yes. A hundred years at this point. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, it was like, she was, she said, like, basically the European Americans had to then now call them something. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. The birth of the black person. Yeah. And this, this was the moment, you know, and, and I am a little bit frightened right now as I say this in this forum, but my mind was blown as this is a concept, as this is a concept just like placed upon people by a frightened group of European Americans trying mm-hmm. to control the African Americans mm-hmm. in their moment of, of, you know, releasing them to freedom. Mm-hmm. And my, my world was kind of shattered. And so, you know, I'm, I, here I am, I'm saying that out loud. Um, and so, and I recognize like when you were saying um, about allyship just a couple of minutes ago, you know, recognizing where you don't understand and coming in to understand, like to pull these layers of the onion back and really yeah. listen to what you're being told, like to the stories of black mm-hmm. humans in America. Mm-hmm. Because, you know, what, what Elizabeth then said was the black and white exists, but it isn't real. It's not real. It's not real. It's and not I literally, real. my whole my body like goes into this hair because it's not real but that like I'm just like how that is right the the entire racial construct when you think about it I mean look we are all human beings right right we're all human beings regardless of the color of this of your epidermis yes we are all human beings we all have the exact same motivations in life. You want to get up and do better and go to bed and you want to eat, enjoy your family, have something to look forward to, to tomorrow and go to sleep. Right. You, you, that's what all of us across the globe yeah. want. We all want to make our kids the best people they can be and help them become the best that they can be to to give back to society in their own way, right? Yeah. All of us, regardless of how much melanin you have, yeah. all of us want the same thing. It's okay, it's human evolution. It's like a species. Right. We're talking about the species. Exactly. So, I mean, like you don't see. Let me just let me just use let me just use dogs. Yeah. You put dogs in a park; they all run with each other. Right. They all love each other. They all play. They all, you know, whether you're big or you're small or you're little, you're, you're, you're a chihuahua or you're a great Dane, you're all going to have a good time and you're all going to be together. You don't say, well, I can't be with them because that's a, that's a, that dog has spots. Oh, I can't be with that one because that dog has stripes. I mean, they don't care. <laughs> they don't care. And we all breathe the same air and we drink the same water and we exactly by the same food. We get poisoned by the same toxins. I mean, literally. right, right, you know, 
we're we're it, it it literally we are i mean this whole construct of what is you know these racial divides is a uniquely human problem and i do mean problem okay it doesn't exist anywhere else it is uniquely human okay so if you understand that then again back to our very first part of this conversation, it is acceptance, right? If you can accept that you and I are women who are married to men, you and I happen to have children, there are women who are not married to men or men that are married to men and women who are married to women and, and you know, whatever. And there are some that are, you know, gender fluid. So you're going back and forth. There's no, and you are accepting of this then guess what? There no, there's no issues anymore, right? It's gone. It's gone. Yeah, and there's no resistance. And as, and as you were just speaking, right, like on a health perspective, right? So to move mm-hmm. to a very physiological place, which I always find fun, you know, is that blockage or inflammation mm-hmm. cause of pretty much all illness or disease, right? I mean, it like within the body, once, you know, if it's a virus, if something's coming in, yeah. or, you know, but like, but, you know, inflammation is going to happen, blockage, basically disharmony. Like- I would say disharmony. disharmony. Yes, I would say disharmony because you can have disease without, I'm sorry to get so technical. No, I want it. You can have it. disease. <clears throat> you can have disease without inflammation and you can have disease without blockage. But it is a dis, yeah, but it's a disharmony. You, yeah. You've entered, you have, you have um, a bacteria which does not belong in your body, therefore it's not harmonious with the rest of it, has, has to get killed. Or there is a disease that happens within your cells, for instance, <clears throat> viral replication, um, whether it's HIV, whether it's COVID, whether it's, you know, or cancers, you know, different can all cancers, you know, like, so, so, so it is an imbalance. It is a disharmony within your body for a lot of disease processes um, that do not come with inflammation or a blockage. So that's why I'm, I'm just saying that, but, yeah. but yes, absolutely. Disharmony. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. Resistance, right. And like an, an energetic resistance like that, also, you know, I just, you know, because of like my dance background and like mm-hmm, mm-hmm, yoga and it's like all this physical. So this is just like, again, in my experience, how, mm-hmm. I, how I sort of process these, these words, right. These massive concepts, mm-hmm. I, just, I know what acceptance or harmony feels like in my body. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I know, what it feels like. I know what it feels like in conversation, like the one yeah. you're having is this very accepted, very yes. fluid, very fluid. Yes. You know, and if I were to just like drop an F-bomb and throw a middle finger out, bam, you know, we've got yeah. ourselves. That's a blockage. A <laughs> blockage, a big <laughs> resistance. And isn't it interesting how it's sort of all the same in that, you know, in this like, you have to turn your sound up just a little bit. Oh, no. I, it's, so isn't oh. it interesting? Isn't it interesting that how, how it's, there's this similarity in mm-hmm. these concepts, 
yes. these parallels and these concepts of acceptance and resistance of opening the aperture or, mm-hmm. you know, zoning in and just, yeah. you know, what is that like sphincter lock basically, <laughs> you know, and we're yeah. talking about open yeah. or close and it's, yeah. oh, wow. It's just so, it's so. It's mind blowing and simple at the same time. And it's so mind blowing and simple because if you just think about opening in terms of your aperture opening, if you think about accepting the words of others, mm. even when you don't understand, but say, okay, why don't I understand this? This is not your truth, my truth, but this is your truth. Mm-hmm. Um, it saddens me. Mm. It saddens me that people believe that, that brutal, that police brutality has only happened in the last four years. When very saddening. I it's it's sad because and when I say to people, uh, no, it's been really like my whole life and beyond that, way yeah. beyond that, you know? Um yeah. and they look at me like I'm crazy. Really? Wow. Yeah, because because in their mind it started with George Floyd. Oh my God. <laughs> You see, I mean, and that's very common, Rain. It is very common that people think, well, okay, it happened there. You know, that's when it happened. Or, well, if you just didn't resist, it wouldn't be a problem. Uh-huh. What, what a simplistic way of dismissing, dismissing the life, the life experiences of generations of people, you know, generations. And I'm just talking about the experience of black people in this country. I am ignorant, I was ignorant to the plight of the Native American mm. and, and their relationship with the police or um, in our country until I got, you know, with the Lakota, the Lakota people. I mean, I had no idea. Yeah. I mean, I had no idea that um, it was used as a weapon, it's used, is used that was, is used as a weapon. The fact that they consider themselves, so, each, each nation is a sovereign nation. Yeah. It is used as a weapon against them so that they cannot access the police of the state in which they live. And that to me is just incredible. So if a woman is raped, if a woman is raped on the reservation, and even saying that word is an abominant, an just I can't even. But if she is raped there, she can only go to the tribal justice council. If the driver's tribal justice council, if if that rape happened by an American, the tribal justice council can't do anything to the American, and the American police force don't have to do anything to him because it was not in their country. Mm. mind-blowing right yeah mind-blowing so it's not just and I don't want to people I don't want your listeners to think that this injustice only happened recently nor is it in a vacuum it is against all people of color and it has been since the founding of this country 
So this is one way that our country needs to improve. Yes. It needs to improve, you know? Yes. And I say that because I love this country. I, I've lived here. I, I, I love this country. Yeah. So just like your children, if you see them doing something wrong, you want them to improve. I want my country to improve. Right. Period. Yeah. And that makes total sense. I want, this, <laughs> I want the same. And yeah. And so I guess for anyone listening right now who is in that school of thought that this just, that this just started happening with George Floyd, yeah. um, there are plenty of uh, resources and we can combine some and we'll put them in the show notes to this particular episode. Um, I mean, it, exactly. It's been going on since the founding of this country. I mean, the truth of the founding of the t- country is that African slaves were brought in very quickly. And then also um, the, yeah, the Native Americans were slaughtered uh, in massive and, and, in, and enslaved. Right. Um, and yeah. And then not so then far after um, the like indigenous Americans that came up from Central America and South America to work, mm-hmm. same thing would end up happening to them. And then, I mean, even, you know, um, the Chinese that were brought in, mm-hmm. you know, to do the railroads on in the West Coast. I mean, this is, it's all the same conversation. So um, becoming open to the truth of these, uh, of these historical milestones that have happened in order for this country to be where we are today um, it first is coming into the acceptance of the truth mm-hmm. and to listen to the people who have been on the other side of the experience, whomever, whatever side you are biologically brought into <laughs> um, on this, right, in this world. Because like we, like we were talking about with the birth of your sister, we're all here for a reason. Mm-hmm. And wouldn't it be a, wouldn't it be a more harmonious um, experience to accept the truths, to listen to each other um, and to share, to really feel safe enough to share is like, yeah, you know, such a huge yeah. part. Yeah. Feeling safe enough, just like you and Beth. Yeah. You feel safe enough to share, you know, and you can talk about the really hard things, you know, the really not so nice things. You can talk about the nice things. Yeah, but the stuff that, that, yeah, but the stuff that wrenches your gut, mm-hmm. you know? Like I can't, I can't tell you how much I can't express. I wish I could, but I cannot express to you my son stopped jogging after Ahmaud Arbery. The day we found out that Ahmaud Arbery was murdered, my son stopped jogging in the city of Binghamton because he said, and he still doesn't, he has a a treadmill and he, so he does his jogging in his garage so that he would be safe. Wow. I cannot tell you how many ways in big and small we change our lives and our life structure and what we do, our activities, so that we can remain safe within our own communities. 
And I know that unless you're not, uh, unless you're a person of color, you don't get what I'm saying. Oh, yes, you can. Yes, you can. As a woman, as a woman. When you go out at night, you walk in pairs or in threes. You take your car keys out of your hand. If you think that it's an unsafe neighborhood and you put them in so that the, the keys are showing out. So that you have, yes, it's just like that, right? Right? You- um, Brass knuckle keys, exactly. Yes, yes, yes. So you have the brass knuckle keys. We, you take self-defense courses to keep yourself safe. You know, you're, you're, you're mindful, even though we shouldn't be, but you are. You're mindful of what you're wearing and where you're wearing it. You don't put your drinks down in a bar, right? You change your behavior. You change yourself so that you can remain safe. Now, imagine doing that a hundred times a day, every day, all your life. Okay? Even from the way you wear your hair, to the way you speak, to the way you um, interact with people, whether socially or in business, right? You, there, there are, there are acceptable things and unacceptable things. And the unacceptable things tend to be the things that are more black or more of your, of your own ethnic culture. Mm-hmm. You know, my, my husband has a urologist who is wonderful. Shout out to Dr. Singh, um, <laughs> who is Sikh. And mm-hmm. so he wears, he wears the turban. Um, and he had he told us a few years ago when that white supremacist went into a Sikh temple and killed all of those people because in his misbelief that they were Muslim, you yeah. know, because they were wearing a turban and he killed all those people. And he said, I don't know any of them. I don't have any connection with any of them. But the fact that I'm a Sikh and I go to temple. I mean, they hired, they hired a security staff, wow. like armed security staff at their temple to keep themselves safe. Just so that people don't misunderstand or who misunderstand who they are and what they're about, which is all about peace, all about peace and love. I know, the Sikh, the Sikh <laughs> you know? is one of, I mean, one of the all, best. Yeah, all <laughs> about <laughs> peace and love, right? Really and, love that, yes. You know? <laughs> And to get, you know, to get gunned down because you think that I'm somebody else, you know? And even if it was a Muslim, even if it was a Muslim mosque. Exactly. I mean, really? You think all Muslims? Really? So just understanding how people, in order to have acceptance to the to the wider range have to contort themselves to be accepted in this country. And then after all of that, all day long to be told, eh, if you just, if you just didn't ask why, you just didn't ask questions, why were you, why are you asking? And then my husband, <laughs> one of my husband's friends, when he, when he was, as a matter of fact, he just had lunch with him the other day. Um, who was Caucasian, said, I don't, I don't understand what the problem is. I tell cops to go ask themselves all the time. Nothing happens to me. So they must have been doing something else wrong. No, 
No, I yell, I yell at them. They pull me over. I yell at them. There must be something else that they're doing. You just don't know. Wow. Wow. Oh, my God. Yeah. Yeah. No, Paul, love you, but you don't get it. Wow. You're not listening. Not listening. No. Yeah. So just because it's not within your realm, not within your experiences, doesn't mean that my experience is invalid because you have a different experience. Right. My God. Yeah. Girl, I got to go. It's it's 2.30. <laughs> I know. I'm just like, I... This has been wonderful. This is amazing. This is amazing. Well, we're just going to have to have you back on the show. That's all I'm going to say. <laughs> <laughs> Wise Elder Series is um, amazing. Cherise, yeah. thank you so much for taking all of this time as time is our most valuable valuable commodity that um it's all we are right it's all that's we our are. life and our life is a breath that we take yeah. and here we go here we go i love this saying i have it in here in my office life is not measured by the number of breaths we take but by the number of breaths that take our moments that take our breath away and Rain, my dear, this is one of those moments. And I thank you for inviting me in and speaking to you and your wonderful listeners. I thank you. I thank you for the opportunity. I'm sorry Kevin couldn't be here. But That's all right. That's all right. We have you so, so yeah, sending you off with so much love. I am so appreciative of, of the divine for bringing us together. Um, and, you know, give all of your family. And I can't believe I felt uh, I forgot about Allie, but she's the one I have the least close relationship. Yes, with. that's true. That's give true. everybody my love. I will. And, I will. Um, and I look forward to um, until next time. That's all. Until I next you. time. Until next because time. Because it will be. Love you. Love you. Bye-bye. Bye. And what a show that was. Thank you, Sharice, for all of your wisdom and all of your love and knowledge and magic and mysticism. Oh, thank you, listeners, for showing up and sticking with it through challenging um, topics and triggering ones and I hope you are able to absorb and um, learn you know someone's experience maybe differently than than you had thought about before and if not go ahead and listen to it again (laughs) there's a lot of wisdom in here Um, thank you so much Z the producer of the show Justin Case Briggs out there, another Brooklynite. Um, again, thank you to Elizabeth Taylor, daughter of our guest, and Alex Shapiro on the True Beauty Brooklyn podcast for uh, lighting my fire again. Um, thank you to Amber Dew for all that you do for me and for our um our work here, Birth Ambassadors, Rain Studios, The Jam. All right. And that's a wrap. 
Until next time, peace, plants, birth, death, life.